Leadership is the art of giving people a platform for spreading ideas that work. Welcome to DC Local Leaders, the podcast where we talk to C-suite leaders within the DC area. Our guests share their pathways to success and the important moments that impacted their careers. Lean in as we get the inside scoop on how they are shaping their industries, how they lead, manage, and connect with others. From the sectors of aerospace, defense, tech, IT, and more, this is Local Leaders. Your host has been making meaningful connections with industry leaders for over 15 years. Here's Philip Nathram. Welcome back to the DC Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Nathram, and thank you so much for spending some time with us today. If it's your first time here, please remember to subscribe and follow wherever you happen to be listening. Also, check us out on the web and sign up for our newsletter. That way you don't miss out on any of the great updates for our Monday mindsets, new episodes coming out, and ways to meet some of the guests that we interview. If you're looking for a mentor or you just want to meet someone to help you shift your mindset, sign up for our newsletter. I'd also like to connect with each and every one of you, so please use the link below to my LinkedIn page. There you can follow and connect with me. I'd love to be a part of your network and learn from your experience. Let's get connected. The DC Local Leaders podcast and platform are both continuing to grow. If you think your company would like to partner with us, please contact us today. You can find our contact information on the web at dclocalleaders.com or you can reach out to me directly through LinkedIn. Today's episode is featuring Mo Jafari, the chairman of the board of EX1 Holdings, the holding company that owns Plasticity, Coras and Human Touch. Right at the beginning of our conversation, you can hear us talking about Jesse Itzler. Mo is a huge fan and he had him come in and speak. If you're unfamiliar with Jesse, he is synonymous with names like Tony Robbins, Eric Thomas, Tom Bilyeu, Lewis Howes, Wim Hof, David Goggins, the list goes on and on. And Mo had him come in and speak to his team of over 200 people, along with some coaches from the Washington Capitals. So we start our conversation there. Now, he takes us through a little bit of his journey of starting all three of these companies and how he had a plan to not just build a lifestyle company, but something that he can teach others to run as well and then mentor others with. So he's got a wealth of experience and he's made some mistakes and he's not afraid to talk about those things and what he's learned from those things. And before we get to the episode, I want to make sure that I mention Decorate a Vet. This foundation's founder, Jeffrey Jones, is the person who connected Mo and I and was responsible for making this episode possible. So I do want to mention Decorate a Vet. They have a LinkedIn page. They also do a lot more with Facebook. So check out Decorate a Vet Foundation on Facebook. You can also connect with Jeff Jones on Instagram. He's a photographer and does some fantastic work. That's Jeffrey W. Jones Photos on Instagram. And let's get into the episode. All right. Well, we're here with Mo Jafari. Executive One Holdings Chairman. We got connected with Jeff Jones, Decorate a Vet founder. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, we want to make sure we give Jeff uh, a good We got to give him kudos. Yeah, for yeah, sure. He just gave out the final check after 11 years to a uh, high school scholarship fund. So that was great. First, I want to talk about Jesse Isler. Yeah. So what was that experience like for those that... Steroids. I mean, he's got a he's got a personality that is just unbelievable, off the wall. When you think about his uh, background, he went from wanting to be a rapper, which how many people do we want to hear about that? He didn't do great, but he did okay, and he admits it. And uh, but then he goes on to build businesses and just is not only inspirational, but then takes the fact of the money that he made and tries to inspire others to do more. So I think he's a 
a heck of a human being in that regard. And how did you get connected with him or in touch with him and, and make that happen? You know, it's it's one of those things, I guess, in life, just like you, Philip, you're, you just kind of keep yourself open to opportunities that are out in the market. And sometimes they just, they find you rather than you finding them. And Jesse Hitler was one of those that found us. And through one of the folks, as COVID was hitting, decided that they wanted to give back to the community. And she said, hey, I met him. I wonder if he'll return my call. And Masha was just an unbelievable personality in herself, reached out. And next thing you know, we're, we got him online and he's uh, given a great bit of advice to just under a thousand people. I mean, we even had some of the Capitals coaches on listening and just to take that inspiration and rise above. I first heard about Jesse Itzler from doing, I did a Tony Robbins event in 2017 and there. Did you walk the fire? Yeah, I did. That's cool. We walked across fire. You know, it's funny. 14,000 people took their socks and shoes off at 2.30 in the morning and walked outside to walk across hot coal in Newark, New Jersey. <laughs> so you can you can imagine how he talks about peak state. We were all in peak state. And, and to, to be a person that can inspire someone to do that right. just fascinates me. Yeah. That's what brought us here to this to this podcast in the first place. Um, I'm in the technology industry, government contracting, but it just... It excites me every day to talk about people's mindset, the shift in thought processes, the those psychological changes that you go through when you go from being an entrepreneur or having an idea, being an entrepreneur, getting out there, doing it, and then eventually having to grow through your leadership skills to actually become a CEO. And I'm sure that there's a whole nother layer once you go from that to becoming a chairman and kind of removing yourself from the day-to-day operations from each individual entity and being able to do that, having the awareness to know that you've empowered people around you and that you have the decentralized command. I'm a big Jocko Willick fan, if you can't tell. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you about. I want to give you an opportunity to kind of tell us all a little bit about what it is that you do in your three entities and how it rolls up into the one. But then I really want to just understand how you got started, right? Are you first generation American? When did you get started? Like all of the, the life story just, but really so that we can know that if you're feeling unsure of yourself or vulnerable, that might be just a part of the process. It's no. not a reason to quit or stop. No, I'm not first generation. My my dad brought us here. I was four years old when I came here from the Middle East, okay. just outside of Jerusalem. So I'm Palestinian. But so my kids are first generation, basically, yeah. which is kind of strange. But being four years old, that's the only, I'm the only one in immediate family without an accent. Was your dad an entrepreneur also? I, somewhat, yeah. I didn't realize that until after his passing. Uh, he hit it a little bit, at least for most of the family, because being a Muslim and owning a liquor store probably isn't the greatest thing in 1950-something. Yeah. I so in 56, 50 when he owned a liquor store, he didn't really want that information to go back to the rest of the family. So he, he hid that component and became a, stayed with a profession. He was a barber by trade. Okay. But did he have his own shop or like, were you no, around? He didn't. No, he, he didn't. He, he worked for, worked for others. And my uncle was probably the, the biggest inspiration. He was an entrepreneur. He got into import export business and then from there got into property management and he owned quite a few homes in mm-hmm. Omaha, Nebraska that he, when I say quite a few, over a hundred. So, and he had them all rented out for the last 40, 50 years until about last year when he passed away. What do you think that that did like for you now? Do you look back and say like, it was his influence around me and, and those things in my life that really kind of influence what I do now? Yeah, it was kind of negative influence. Though. Was it? Yeah. I mean, it, it was, uh, you may not be smart enough. So it was reverse motivation. And so, and truly, I, I think most entrepreneurs have uh, 
a factor in their brain that says, I'm not going to listen, I'm going to go do. And being a little hard of hearing, especially you're in sales, being hard of hearing is the greatest thing that gets you to a yes. Right. And for an entrepreneur or you know business owner, you have to learn how to just not hear everything that it's around you. And that's really hard because a lot of what you hear around you is always going to be very negative. You can't start a business because you it's the wrong time. Whatever, you got a yeah. kid coming on the way. You got this. You got the. It's there's no greater time than right now. And do you think that that can be developed? Is that a skill set to build upon being Absolutely. able to work? I think all this is learned. I think it's just the hardest thing to unlearn is fear. So how do you go beyond it? it it's not like fear is not there. The fear is there. It's just a matter of can I get through it? One more set. What do you, is that how you is that yeah. how you think of it? It's one more set. I don't look at doing 10. I look at doing one. Then I go to right. two. Right. Because when you look at 10, 10 seems daunting. One day at a time. is and, But what, like, what are you doing on a daily basis to kind of reinforce that on you and, and kind of think about that? Because that seems it sounds like it's a muscle memory thing. And so we can't just think up in the moment when something difficult is happening. Like, oh, let me just get through it. You've got to kind of program that in yourself, right? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely uh, a lot of nuances that you program on a daily basis. And the hardest thing is to remove the negativity and bring up as many positive things as you can. Jesse Hitler is a great example of that. Listening to him is inspirational. But also look at previous leaders. And if we've read, read some of the classic books out there, Think and Grow Rich, or they talk about having the mental uh, mind mastery yeah. and the mental mind mastery group. And in I think too often people think you, that has to be an actual living individual, but you can get so many inspirations out of great leaders like George Washington or Churchill or the list goes on and on, Roosevelt. And what did they have to go through? And, and a lot of times we, I look at that and whatever I'm going through is nothing compared to what they had to do. So one more. I agree. I, I talk to this. I, I talk about this with uh, multiple people on the, on the show that, some of my mentors are people I've never even met. They're just people either that I read or that I follow and I use it for that purpose. And I have multiples. It sounds like you do too. You get your influence from multiple people, whether it's, I've, I've got people in my life that are a few years older than me, married with kids. So they're sort of like my family mentor. I look to them to watch how they're doing what they're doing with their family. Same thing, financial business. Are you similar? Very similar. I don't think anybody, I think we're all human beings. So I don't think there's a magic formula. Yeah. You know, I think the magic formula is just get up and do. Right. Well, let's talk about what you've done. It's I got a, I got a great bunch of people around me. They Well, well, so what are the three companies that wrap into your holding company? How did you, let's talk about some of that stuff. So, many years ago I learned that you don't try to recreate the wheel. That most times or not I'm not the smartest guy in the freaking room and and I don't care. I don't need to be. I can take a perfectly great idea that's been developed over the years, look at the mastery of it and then try to implement it even though I'm tiny comparatively. Carlisle and Blackstone is a great example of that. And that's where EX1 Holding really is based upon. It wasn't anything great that I did. I'm just, the model was there. It's now, can I implement that model and how do I do it? And now you're talking about, okay, so I, I found step one, go do it. Step two is get the right people around you to help you do it. And then three is implement. And so that's what we did. So we looked at implementing the idea of having a holding company with several other companies underneath it. And that's where it grew out of. But what's step one in doing that? I mean, you've, so you're taking the venture capital approach, right? You're looking at other businesses that can use an investment, infuse it with that investment, and then grow that business. So the, the initial, to be honest with you, I'm really, really ADD. I have a hard, hard time even doing this with you right now because I'm 
going to jump out of my seat. But the reality is, is that I didn't want to be in just one company. I had other interests. When we first started Human Touch, Human Touch started off as a as a staffing company. I mean, I was just getting former clients to come in and, and they would look for staff, executive recruiting. From executive recruiting, clients would call up and say, hey, I need you to I need you to take care of this whole damn thing for me. So we got into the outsourcing component. Now, outsourcing became consulting. Add a few more people to the mix, and next thing you know, we're going after government contracts because the marketplace in in telecom and at that time, telecom and dot uh, com were imploding. That was like what mid nineties. No, that was uh, late early early two thousand early two thousand two two thousand and three. Prior to that, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm, we were we were doing so well in executive uh, recruiting and staff recruiting. Had no interest in doing anything else. What were you doing before you launched Human Touch? Getting fired. All right. But I mean, like, what were you technical in your experience? Were, like, did you have like... I just... No, I chameleonized myself. Yeah. I was able to... I, I brought in some of the best technologists to teach me what it is. And I would uh, beg them to help me write five to seven sentences that made sense. So when I talked to somebody else as I was recruiting them, or I was Sounds talking like to a client that I could just rinse and repeat. Sounds so, like you're talking about. Got to so, get the lingo down. Yeah. And once you get the lingo down, then they, but they were, they were fabulous in the fact that they took me not only from writing down four or five sentences, but then they would help educate me on a whiteboard and say, this is why this works. This is what a relational database is. And then you would take the time. This was, it wasn't pre-internet, but it was very hard to find information at your fingertips. So yeah, you still use the payphone. You, you got your Ranger, right. you stopped, you use your payphone. We yeah. had change in our pocket. No one yeah. has change. People no. barely have dollar bills now, uh, but. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. So, I mean, but they were fantastic in being able to communicate with those individuals, learn from them, go do my own research to, to formulate how it looks in my mind. Because I think when you develop, uh, when someone gives you a concept, you're developing a picture in your mind. And it's helping you to develop that picture. But that picture is ever evolving mm-hmm. on what that concept is, whether that's uh, a rational database or an artificial intelligence. What, what is it that clicks in your mind as you, as you bring those concepts and technologies in? Yeah. And, and, and for me, it's my mind's eye has to see it. And it sounds like you had some great mentors around you or people that can advise you. Did you, when you got those relationships, how did that work? Did you just simply ask them, like, I would like your help? Yeah. It seems like a lot That's of times it. my experience has been, it's Explain been to me. that easy. How does that work? Right. How do you do this? I wrote a business plan. Can you help me review it? Kind right. of thing. In those early days, because I'm assuming until you hire your first staff member, right? Whether you're on, maybe you're on retainer. I don't know, but how are you making it day to day? Did you have savings? No, no, no. I mean, I had some savings. We had a uh, uh, daughter was being born. So you're uh, married at this time. Uh, we had just gotten married. This is we were, we got married in 95, 98. My daughter was born. My daughter was born in July of 98. Uh, I quit my job in August, August slash September of 98 and had my first client at the end of that month, I was just miserable. So you were miserable and your, and your wife obviously knew that or like, how, I what think, was I that? Think everybody conver- knew that. I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm not shy to let everybody know what you, my when feelings you're, are. Yeah, yeah. When you're unhappy. Yeah. All right. Um, so you go to your wife, you say, Hey, I'm going to quit my job. By the way, we've got this two year old daughter. I'm not really sure what I'm going to do. 
that went over well with her. I can imagine. Yeah. Uh, and her father. So, so you started this company and then it just, it sounds like it just kind of took off. It, it did, but it, like any company has an ebb and flow. So the ebb and flow is the market economy and the market economy in 2003, 2004. I mean, we went from living pretty high off the hog in 99 through 2002. Well, business was booming. I mean, doing really, really well. Ended up almost with almost 70 people at one client that we were consulting to. And that was a telecom client. In less than a year, we were down to zero. Yeah. And so, as they say, the train stopped and but my legs were still moving. So I got to do something. So the market had to change. Clients had to change. We started really focusing in on the few people that we had left during that era. And that was GovCon. Mm -hmm. So... We became an instant government contractor, but there were some pieces that we were missing. And so some of the monies that we had saved up, we utilized to reinvest in ourselves. And by 2005, 2007, we really did very well, won a few contracts. 2009, we hit a lot bigger contracts and 11, 12, and 13 got even bigger. And, And then the market changed again. So the market is changing and the years that you're quoting are like the years just before an election year where there's a change in administration or a continuance of the administration. Did you have a strategy? Were you looking at the? It sounds like you were kind of just rolling with a lot of things because I don't think you could have predicted that the telecom fall would have happened the way that it, it did. No, I, I got early in my career, I was, I was really influenced by a couple of folks. One of them that I was just reading, Peter Lynch from Fidelity, and he wrote some unbelievable not only books, but his, he had a very contrarian view. And I didn't realize that a lot of my views were not far off of that. So I've been following a lot of the contrarian views because as they say, when, when the train's full and you're still trying to get on, sometimes you don't want to be on that train Mm -hmm. because there's just a, there's one, there's no more room. And two, it's being weighed down. So look at other avenues that aren't being weighed down. So that's what we started to do was to look at the industry when LPTA hit, and how are you going to win on lowest price technically acceptable? Well, that was also at the time when we saw telecom 10 years prior, they were looking to outsource everything overseas in early 2000, 2001. And that was our bill rates went from, they were being, they were, well, they were trying to cut our bill rates to less than a third of what they were because that's what the overseas markets were providing. We couldn't survive. So how do you survive? So you have to look at markets where not only can I survive, but how do I thrive? Right. How do I thrive in this market coming up? Because I'm, I'm not going to succumb. How many employees were you responsible for at this time when, the, when these things are going on and, and going through your head? It ranged at the time. During the telecom boom, we had about, well, we had 71 clients, so about 85 in total. Mm. So when the train stopped, it was rather rough. But it was, I, I think in 13, we were, were on a growth pattern and as I'd say during that time at LPTA, the majority of clients were moving out of the DOD market. We started to move in. That was a good bet. And I think a few years back, we, we were looking at how to distinct, you know, distinguish ourselves from the pack, not only on GovCon, but we ended up buying a SaaS software firm and reinvesting in it. They were in a older technology. Um, now they're not, which is great. And what's the name of that firm? Uh, that's called Chorus. That's Chorus. And so at this point, you diversified into the commercial market so that all your eggs weren't in the government market. Not, not well, you see, I took 
the whole idea was to do that originally. What ended up happening was is that we took a lot of the information that Chorus was building upon and changed it. We took it off of the Microsoft platform. We own the entire stack now. We learned some very hard lessons during that period of time. I learned the fact that you can't run a government contractor and a software company in the same manner, even though they're both specialize in technology, I equate it to one's a sprinter and the other one's a marathoner. Well, they both run. The training is very, very different. And so we separated those companies out. We concentrated uh, on what we knew best, which is this particular area. So we really initiated the course software to be very focused on decision management and all around the decision makers within the DOD. So we went for a very pinpointed set of clientele. Mm. And so we help some of the largest, I'd say, decision makers in the world track and own their decisions and and show how the data is coming in for accountability and, and in basically giving them confidence in the decisions that they're making based upon the data that they're seeing, which brings us into looking at all the data that they have and adding an artificial intelligence to it. And that's which where plasticity. Our plasticity. So the idea of building. So I had a bet with the, with the president of course, how long would it take us to build it? And, or can I go and find a company and an AccuHire? So we fast tracked it by being able to acquire the, the technology. And we love this technology because not only is it artificial intelligence, but it's different than the way everybody built. It's a company that's not built on what I would say the rest of them built on, which is open source. This is a proprietary C++. It's down at the machine level. And basically, the majority of what's out there in the marketplace is open source. If you equate it to you're going to make chili and you're going to start with Hormel. Yeah. You're starting with a can. Give that to Gordon Ramsay. See what he tells you. I mean, and, but, and that's a big business, right? We've had some people on the show that specialize in low code software. They're, they'll get you started. They'll get you the can of Hormel and then you can you yeah. know, do whatever you need to do. And, and for some th- for some applications that in course has a lot of that, it's, it's great because it's for, for, well, it's business, but on a business side, it's great. But for when you're really looking at for intricate values and intricate details to those values, you need to understand the recipe and to understand the recipe and how it was built and what was put in it. You need to have that. And so that's what makes an AI, they, the term is called explainable. So that's why we bought Plasticity. It is an explainable piece of software that they can go in and actually get to the root and make adjustments versus the open source where they just keep adding more things. If you have too much salt in your Hormel, you add a potato. Right. And then you just and keep, then you keep adding, right. which means that you're, you're doing more consulting and you're doing, that's what the client's paying for versus paying for software. So you started the recruiting company, Human Touch, Mm -hmm. by yourself. Correct. Well, with my wife, yes. With your wife. Yes. At what point did you start adding employees? Because Chorus has a a president. Plasticity has a president, right? That's not you. Human Touch is run by who? Is that still? By Rick Hill. Okay. So 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 I have somebody else that runs it. That's correct. At what point did you start implementing that as an entrepreneur? Where do I know that what what are my what are my uh, inflection points what what am i looking for to know that that's the time i so one of the hardest things i've had to do is actually teach our own leaders and teach myself this there's never a time not to do it even when you're first starting out it's really? going to replace you if you think that you're going to be better than anybody out there that's you've just built a lifestyle business if you're looking to build a bigger business 
you cannot be at the at the big charge. You may have mm-hmm. to be for a while, but you do need others to do it. Otherwise, you're putting yourself in a position of, I would say, you're putting your own ceiling in place. How do you how do you make so it sounds from the beginning you wanted to be you were emulating Carlisle Group and and people that are VCs so you can tell that you didn't want a lifestyle business from the beginning how do you make those relationships how do you know that you're working with the right person where do you even go to find that how did these come about how did you meet these people trial just trial and error yeah did you go I mean, through some others before you uh, got to of course them? but sometimes the magic formula is just go do. Mm-hmm. And I know some people would read, we go through this as a management team right now. We've read, interviewed, <clears throat> and you get, you get a thousand resumes a week and you can go through all those resumes on each individual position. You're looking for the perfect person. And then you get somebody who doesn't have any experience in what you're doing, but they have the personality and having that personality is just an amazing thing, even though they're outside your industry. We've taken that bet in the last three years, more often than not, and every time it has been extremely successful. Some of those individuals have stayed with us. Some of them have moved on, Yeah, but they've moved on because they were, it was time, but I've been very proud of that factor. And so we're starting to change our mind of having to look inside the industry. Our, our chief legal counsel is a great example. She came out of a different industry. Didn't understand GovCon, really. She, had, she understood enough. Now, after three years, she's probably one of the most prolific people out there in the market. Yeah. And, but when she first started, she just had the right personality and the right attitude. And, and frankly, that's exactly what we were looking for. I wasn't looking, I was looking for someone to help me and to help the companies, but also somebody that I knew and felt comfortable enough in, if they didn't have an answer, they were going to go get it. Mm-hmm. And without, without reservation. Well, what have you done during the time on yourself to become the different person you needed to be as your company grew and then you have to grow as a person? Is it coaching? How do you become this person that you need to be in order to keep going? I mean, I think that there's a lot of great examples in, in the marketplace from whether I discussed Peter Lynch or you said Tony Robbins, and there's plenty of CEOs out there that you could emulate. I think a lot of the times it's just the, if you're sitting in the employee's shoes and they're the customer especially in a consulting firm or even in a recruiting firm, they are the customer. So what is the customer getting from you? And at the end of the day, the only thing you have is the person in the mirror. Mm. And that person in the mirror, how would you judge them? And how would you want them to be judged? So I, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of what, what we were taught is growing up from moms and dads, which is not only treat everyone well, treat them extremely well, and make sure you, you check yourself at the door when you do that. Did yeah. you do that? And so I, I try to keep that and be as grateful as I can. Well, the most recent company that you have acquired, you mentioned was Plasticity. What are they up to? And you said AI, but what does that mean? And what, what are they actually learning from us? The artificial intelligence. They, they actually understood that a machine was not, the artificial intelligence was not really reading like you and I do. You can put data into a structured environment, much like a Wikipedia, that little right side of the page that has all the boxes on it. When you go to look somebody up in there, no matter who it is, you look up Herschel Walker, it'll bring up that he was a national football player now that he's living in Georgia, blah, blah, blah. All those little details on Herschel will show up and Siri or whatever mechanism you're using will also bring that information up. 
What it won't bring up is all the other details. Let's say he gave a speech or something to, to the effect of how he grew up. All those, the other 10 pages that are along that Wikipedia, that's not structured. The AI simply takes you to a website versus doing what plasticity does. Plasticity actually reads each and every verse, puts the words together, whether it's a verb, adverb, preposition, distinguishes them from the other. So it reads like you and I do. That is really the power behind plasticity is being able to read like a human. So being able to take, they call it dark data. Dark data is very similar in every industry. If you're a doctor and you're writing notes or typing notes into a system, those notes actually are not structured data. What's structured is that it's Philip and he, he weighed this much, his height is this much, and he came in for, or th- for this issue. But all the other notes that the doctor took on you and typed in or had someone else type in, that's unstructured data. So looking at it from a legal document. E-discovery is what I thought about when you yeah. said that, when you mentioned what it was doing. That's the first place I, my mind went to, e-discovery. These large thousands of pages of legal documents, but you're looking for just the few things that have to do with this one topic. Your, right. your software could go find all of those. Exactly. Well, it actually finds the relationships between the words, so it's not just a topic. Mm-hmm. I think too often the topic is, is just that. It's the structured component that uh, a lot of these AIs already find out. NLP, and the fact that we wrote our own code, allows us to actually make it more explainable and how it found it. And the beauty of when we uh, looked at plasticity, they have them versus us. So the competition is right on our website. So people can actually put phrases in and see how well it does versus the other technologies that have been utilized by others. Yeah. And so it, it's actually being used in the Intel community and then the DOD looking for disinformation. Actually, Plasticity did a full disinformation campaign on the last election. And you can go see that YouTube had to shut down certain videos that were being done and promoted by others and for both parties, not just one. Right. Yeah. And what's NLP stand for? Natural language processing. And you guys have a, a patent on that? Uh, We do in process. Yes. Did you ever foresee that like you would be running a company that now has IP and and that it's something that I have three companies that have IP, which isn't something that I can't, I couldn't have. uh, You always want it. You always think about it because you hear and you dream about others doing it and you, but no, I, to be honest with you, when I was recruiting, I had no freaking idea, but it was interesting while we were recruiting for that one telecom, we had most of those 70 people that were working on that telecom we're building something that is now ubiquitous and that's called an app on a phone. And before those apps were actually being just utilized by the engineers as they were fixing that wireless communication company. So, and who would have thunk that one day I'm recruiting and the next day we're running one of the largest contracts in that telecom human touch just recently from being a GovCon created their own IP as well. I, I don't think it's a simple idea, but it seems simple when somebody explains it to you. And they basically took the idea of getting customer service during a COVID time, Mm -hmm. put it into a kiosk, and then took the kiosk and added a whole bunch of lockers to it. And so now you can actually, if you're working at an agency, you can walk up to the kiosk, get immediate service. Big difference between that kiosk and the one at the airport. You get immediate service. A person pops up and helps you through what is wrong possibly with your computer. And also, if there is something wrong with your computer, they give you a locker to go put it in. And if they can fix it, they'll fix it. If they can't, they have another locker for you with a new one with all your data already on it. So you can swap them in and out. 
So from an executive standpoint, who's traveling, even during COVID, the Connect to IT kiosk, which is what Human Touch created, is proprietary and it is sold as a service to the government. So it's a kind of a another IP unit, which is so fantastic. it's a physical kiosk. It's a physical that you kiosk. walk up to and and what log in or you type in some sort of credential that it knows that you are Correct. secure with like you work for you the department. You bring in your CAC card. Okay. And if you're working within DOD, you bring in your, or another federal agency, you put your CAC card in uh, to your computer, you connect it up and pops an attendant. The attendant says, Philip, how are you? And ensures that you are who you are. This is a real person or this, this is, is AI real, doing this? This the way is a real live person on the other side of that, on the other side of that screen. And they have all your login credentials and everything else. They're, they're going to verify that it's you. And then they're going to look at, you're going to give them a descriptive of what's wrong. They're going to go through and say, yep, I see you're right. You are, you're having the blue screen of death. We think it's something that is fixable or not. And if it's not, we have another computer ready and waiting. So giving back a lot more time in a day and also removing the fact that you, you may have to wait for service mm-hmm. and or have somebody come to your desk. What's your family life? How old are your kids now? Because we talked, they were two months old when you started this whole thing. One was, yeah. Three kids now, two boys in college, uh, daughter, a daughter that graduated from university. Where'd they go? My daughter graduated from Loyola University last year. I have a son, the eldest son. He's, he's in his junior year, finishing his junior year, I hope. And then I have a freshman at the University of Miami in Ohio. So were you tough on them at all? Or like, was your dinnertime conversation centered around entrepreneurship or like you want them to do something? I mean, what was that like? What do you think you're influencing your kids with by being the person you are? You know, I think you'd have to ask them that. Was I hard on them? I wasn't easy. I don't think I really brought the business side into it. I think it was more the attitude, you know, when, when I did see them not trying hard enough I think my old football coach and my old wrestling coach came out in me. And so I'm, I, I was, a, I guess, a little tougher on them when I coached their teams. I'm sure they will be the first kids to tell you that dad yelled at us more than he yelled at everybody else. It wasn't because I wanted them to do better because I knew that they knew better. So when my daughter was seven and running her mouth in basketball practice, she did yeah. laughs. Yeah. And when, when my son did the same thing and, and when I, you know, coaches soccer, he had to run laps too, but you know, all the kids did. And, uh, but you know, I, I think that was one of the greatest compliments I ever got was uh, I didn't want to coach any of them, but when you have them and their friends call you coach versus Mr. Joffrey, that was, that was very heartwarming. I, I enjoyed that. Did they ever come to the, did they ever come to the office when they were younger and be oh, around and I mean, did, help us move things, clean up stuff. Yeah. Know? I think that that, you know, there's a we can't be what we can't see, right? Like if right. no one ever had a podcast, I wouldn't have a, I mean, why would I yeah. ever think of that? Right? right. And just being around in that environment, I think is probably influencing them just like somewhat similar to you. You got some influence from your uncle, yeah, right? Who was in business and some of it was negative. And that I think that I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs because there's two types of leaders that I've run across specifically within the ones that we've been chatting with. There's the sort of hired gun 
C-suite leader that Mm -hmm. has moved through the ranks, whether it's a ladder or a jungle gym, you know, whatever it's called to get to the top or to understand the skill sets and to build those skill sets to be able to lead a company. That's a different type of person than someone who's just starting a company. They're both leaders. One is an entrepreneur. One is, you know, um, C-suite and and they go from company to company to do that from period of time. And then it's sold and that's their skill set. That's what they do. Matt Curtis is a great example of that. He's he's absolutely phenomenal. If you ever, you know, you've met him, you know, Guy's very, you know, I mean, very put together mentally. He gets, you know, if you, you know, our companies are 200 million. I want him to grow to 2 billion. Max, you know, I don't think I could ever afford him, but, you know, especially now, but he did it the right way. You know, former military guy as well. So obviously there's some, there's some identities that really come into play to identifying that individual, right? That, yeah. that can do that. And I think a lot of the people that are entrepreneurial, like yourself, this is going to sound negative, but have a chip on their shoulder. And it sounds like you wanted to create something that you had ownership over that was yours, that existed because you did it. Yes. And then I've, I also learned, you know, it's great to take others with you so you can grow because if I didn't, then my growth is limited. Where are some of the places you were getting fired from? You know, I worked for a, a GovCon, you know, my, I, I had, when I first started off in my career, I was really, I was in college and I was paying for college. So I was in the restaurant and nightclub business and I went from working at the door to working, you know, as a bar back to working as a bartender to managing. Um, Were you promoting parties? Cause you'd be the fourth person that's now the entrepreneurial leader of a technology government contracting company that started in club promoting. I was definitely promoting the club. We ran, you know, I worked for a small little consortium around here that owned four nightclubs called champions. And so we were out, you know, I went from running one to running two and I worked around some guys that, you know, some owners that were very, you know, they were very good at what they did. So you learn a lot. And I grew up, you know, going and working for Marriott and Hilton. So I had some proper training Mm -hmm, in hospitality and customer service and understanding, you know, Hey, it doesn't matter. You know, if that beer glass is, if that beer glass is empty, you're, you're not making more money. And if that steak doesn't taste good, you're not, they're not coming back. So in applying a lot of that same logic into this industry is really not that different. It's just, it's the consumable that seems to be different, but it's still consumable. So, you know, I sold stocks, I stole bonds, I sold insurance. I think I just had a gene to be able to sell, but when I didn't like it, I didn't sell it well. You're a great example of the fact that you don't have to be a technical person to do technical things or to run a technical company. There's core competencies that are based around customer service, obviously consistency and hustle, like showing up every day and doing the thing that needs to be done and not necessarily or finding the people that can help you do the technical portions of it. Right. What what advice can you give to someone who is, let's say they're more of a technical person right now. They're that coder that wants to be in a position similar to yours. Talk to the customer. And then what? Once they give you the, the information, how do you get over to a leadership role? You know, you have to have the ability to just take the risk. Uh, I know for a lot of people that's unappetizing. It was, it is for everyone. Some people will go and do it and it didn't work out as well as they thought it would. And they still have a great skill set. And they go back and, and do other things for other companies. So I don't, I don't fault them. I, I, I tell you what I would fault them for is not trying. Mm. And I think, you know, you hear that over and over is, do you want to, do you want to wake up, you know, on your deathbed knowing that you did it? And 
it didn't work out? Or do you want to always think I would have, I should have? What are you working on now for that next level so that you don't have to, you know, you don't have to get to your end days and wish that you could have done or done or would have done something. Now else. We're definitely looking at other companies from an acquisition standpoint. We're looking at, you know, whether, you know, even if, you know, if we make sense for others to acquire. So it's, I think at the end of the day, we're, we're building an opportunistic organization. We're looking at what other value we can bring to our clients, you know, not just in the current technologies, but what's the next kiosk that we're going to build? What's the next NLP that we're going to make happen? Now, what are we going to do that is going to give us even a better decision management program? What are we going to, you know, is it, you know, what's that going to look like? And so, you know, having great leaders with good, I would say, processing capability to look at the marketplace and see what's out there. I'm having fun, you know, as when we found plasticity and we had that bet, I think I talked to about 300 companies and uh, to come up with three out of 300 and then get into serious discussions. I mean, that was that was a lot of fun, nerve wracking, but fun. Yeah. So I, I think I enjoyed that, you know, because again, it brings me back to meeting people. What about your reading list? Who are you reading? Who's your favorite? Like what, what's your reading right now? That's kind of influencing. You know, it's, you know, because we got into an artificial intelligence company and a NLP company, I'm doing a lot of what I would say is research and gaining as much knowledge as I, as I possibly can. And and there's no way I'm going to be able to get through that. So I would say, you know, from a healthy reading list lately, I've been uh, a lot more, rereading some of the old classic business books and things. I mean, sometimes I'll just, instead of reading it back to back, I'll, you know, I'll just pick up the book and wherever my thumb or finger hits that page, I just start. Yeah. And, and, and it's inspirational. And, you know, I think from a relaxation standpoint, it, it's been, it's been a little crazy. So I definitely need to get back into that. Well, this is awesome. You know, it's been really great getting to know you. Anyone who's listening who wants to get on the team, you know, whether it's Chorus, Human Touch, Plasticity, that wants to reach out to you to either learn more, learn from you, what, who, how do they reach you? So I'm going to give uh, the PSA for LinkedIn. If okay. you're not on it, you're crazy. Okay. Uh, if you don't have a good profile, you should talk to our marketing folks. You should get a great profile from CCM and get them to help you out. Because at the end of the day, we've seen too many people with, it is uh, not only a resume, it's not only a business card. It is, I think, one of the strongest tools if you're going into business ever. Thank you for making time. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Philip. I appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation with you. Thanks for listening to DC Local Leaders. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on LinkedIn and YouTube by searching DC Local Leaders, on Instagram at DC Local Leaders, or our website, dclocalleaders.com. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or wherever you find great podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.